This morning, um, we're going to continue our study through the Gospel of Luke, so if you will, please open your Bibles to Luke chapter 4. The subject of the text that we're going to be going through is the topic of temptation. I think in our own minds we can think of all kinds of things, right, when that word comes up, temptation. For some it's similar, for others it may just, you're thinking of of your own temptations because they, they are personal and at the same time common. So temptation, we're going to cover the first 13 verses of chapter 4. So let's begin by reading Luke chapter 4 and verse 1, which says, And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, To you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whom whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you and... On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, It is said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. Father, as we approach this subject, Lord, and And Lord, we consider our own temptations in our lives, Father. I pray that you would help us to understand how to shield ourselves against succumbing to those temptations. Lord, that we may be a people who are strong in our faith, understanding of your word, having the wisdom to know how to apply it and having the conviction, Lord, to be a people of action, truly expressing our love for you and obedience to you. And so, Lord, help us. Lord, every single one of us are tempted on a daily basis and in various ways. And so, Lord, we, we desire to grow and to mature and to strengthen, Lord, that we may not fall into the temptation. And so, Lord, we ask for your blessing 
And we pray this all in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. All right. So D.L. Moody said this, quote, When Christians are tempted, they should not be discouraged. It is not a sin to be tempted. The sin is to fall into temptation, close quote. In thinking about temptation, I thought, 1 verses 2 through 4, which says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. You see, as a Christian, temptation will always be a test to your faith. Temptation is the testing of human beings. People who have free will, have a conscience, who have the capacity to choose between and exercise discernment based on personal conviction and absolute truth. When faced with the right thing and the wrong thing to do, the good thing and the bad thing to do, we have a conscience, we have free will, and we are tested in that moment Temptation will entice you to sin. But what we need to understand is that temptation to sin, when we proclaim, when we declare that we love God, is something that is much more serious than just regarding it. It's just something that I fell into. It's just sin, something that everyone does. In other words, we ought not treat it flippantly, lightly, taking it lightly. Because the temptation will entice you to actually fall away from God. Apostasy. Which means that temptation tests and proves whether you will obey God or abandon Him and renounce your faith in that particular instance. I'm not talking about renouncing your faith altogether, but rather in areas and regarding specific instances. You can say that in those instances, in a very real way, you deny Christ instead of denying yourself, dying to self, and acting on His will. That is, following Him according to His word. You fall away for the moment. You deny him, you reject him, you ignore him. That's why we need to take it seriously. We need to really grow. We need a desire to know what God desires and what would bring him glory and what would honor him. Temptation always appeals to the flesh, it appeals to your pride, and that's the work of the enemy. Because God will never do that. But Satan, well, he is relentless. 1 John 2.16 says, For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And so it is to be expected. Temptation is to be expected. But we are called, according to 1 Peter 5.9, to resist the the devil And stand firm in our faith. For you and I, we ought to expect temptation. For the Christian, 
We ought to expect temptation. Know that it's coming. But at the same time, be fully equipped and ready to act when tempted by being equipped with knowledge of God's word. Having a clear understanding of who God is so that we may know how to escape that temptation without falling prey to it and sinning against God. You see, the ability to escape temptation is provided to each and every one of us by God. There is no temptation. I know sometimes we say, well, it's, it's the devil who made me do it. You ever heard that? The devil made me do it. Well, look what you made me do. We tell someone that perhaps caused a response from us that wasn't very godlike, right? Not very Christ-like, not, not according to God's word. And so we can blame it on someone else. Look what you made me do. But there is no temptation that is beyond your ability to escape it. 1 Corinthians 10.13 says, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. And God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Endure it isn't just putting up with it. Uh, enduring it is actually to persevere through it. To stand fast. To not succumb to it. We also need to understand that even though we may think that you don't understand, that, that temptation is specific to me. No, no, no. What we just read is no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. It is common. It's not unique to an individual. It is common to man. But God will not let you be tempted to the point that you are not able to escape it. That's all good news because everything that we're tempted to do and tempted by, there's a way of escape and God has provided that way of escape. This morning we will learn of Satan's tactics that he's been using for a long, long time. He's been using them to destroy people, you and I, to separate us from God, to undermine our effectiveness in walking and serving God. He's been using these tactics to tempt man, bring him down, destroy him. But we will more importantly, as we learn that, see how it is that Jesus responded and escaped temptation. John 10.10 says, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Satan, we know, is the accuser of the brethren who accuses them day and night before our God according to Revelation 12.10. There are two main events in the Bible that are regarded most above everything else when it comes to the subject of temptation. One is the temptation of Eve in the garden. And we also have this one that we're covering this morning. And that is the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness. But there are many examples of people who are tempted throughout the Bible. Consider Joseph and Potiphar's wife. 
Jonah was tempted. And he did go the opposite way. So consider Jonah and Nineveh. Consider Samson with Delilah, David with Bathsheba, Elijah as he ran from Jezebel, Ananias and Sapphira who conspired and lied to the Holy Spirit. Judas betrayed Jesus and Peter denied Jesus. Those were all temptations. Some were victorious over those temptations and yet others serve as examples of us, for us, so that we may not repeat those errors. So there are examples to learn from. I pray this morning that we would learn how to escape temptations. Looking unto our Lord, His Word. Learning how to live in the Spirit so that we may not fall into temptation and gratify the desires of the flesh, according to Galatians 5.16. But what we must do is learn And be prepared before we face temptation. And then determine in our hearts what we we will do in that moment. So, let's learn. Verses 1 and 2 in Luke chapter 4. says, And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry, led by the Spirit. You know, Jesus was identified with sinners as he was baptized in the Jordan by John the Baptist. He didn't have to be baptized because he was a sinner. He was simply identifying with sinners who came to be, re- to, came to be baptized and, it was, uh, and they were baptized as they repented of their sins. Jesus had just done that, had just prayed. He just saw the heavens open up, and so did everyone else. And the Holy Spirit descended upon him as as was a form of a, a dove, as it came down and descended upon him. And then the Father spoke from heaven, saying, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. All of this he had just experienced Now, what we need to understand also is that Jesus was not void of the Holy Spirit prior to this. But he experienced the coming upon by the Holy Spirit, the empowering of the Holy Spirit to begin his ministry. And just as it happened to him, Jesus told his disciples that the Spirit would come upon them. In Luke chapter 24, verse 49, it says, And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And so we see Jesus full of the Holy Spirit. Being led by the Spirit. Where? Where? He's full of the Holy Spirit. He just experienced all of that. What a glorious moment, right? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world is what John said when he saw Jesus coming to him. The heavens opened up. The Spirit came upon him. And the Father said, You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. 
And then the Spirit led him right into the wilderness? What? The wilderness? Okay, the wilderness. We're going to spend some time now that he's going to start his ministry. He's going to spend some time with the Father, right? And he's going to prepare him. And it's just going to be a quiet time with, with the Father. And no, that's not what happened, did it? The Holy Spirit led him into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil throughout the 40 days of Jesus fasting and praying. You would think that during a time of fasting and praying that the enemy would be kept at bay. That there would be divine protection by God against the enemy to shield, especially the Son of God, so that he may enjoy that intimate time with the Father. How about when you and I fast and pray? What are you expecting? What is praying and fasting for? We look to scripture for that. Let's turn to Isaiah chapter 58. Isaiah 58. Now, just to give it a little context here, what, <clears throat> what the Lord is speaking about here is, is a contrast. It's, he will be, uh, as we're going to read, describing to us what is true fasting or genuine fasting and what is false fasting. You can uh, actually be fasting and not really be something that's worth anything. It's what God's people did all the time. This is what he's addressing. Isaiah chapter 58, verse 1 says, Cry aloud, do not hold back. Lift up your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their transgression, to the house of Jacob their sins. Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways, as if they were a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the judgment of their God. They ask of me righteous judgments. They delight to draw near to God. Why have we fasted and you see it not? Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? Behold, in the day of your fast you seek your own pleasure and oppress all your workers. Behold, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to hit with a wicked fist. Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice to be heard on high. Is such the fast I choose a day? Is such the fast that I choose a day for a person to humble himself? Is it to bow down his head like a reed and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Will you call this a fast and a day acceptable to the Lord? You see, what he was describing is a people who would outwardly express themselves as if they were very religious, genuinely seeking the Lord, and yet nothing was changing. Nothing. And he was telling them through Isaiah, is this what you're offering? Is this the type of fast that I expect? 
and require of you. And he goes on. says in verse 6, Is not this the fast that I choose? To loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house? When you see the naked, to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh? Then shall your light break forth like the dawn and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call and the Lord will answer. You shall cry and he will say, here I am. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger and speaking wickedness, if you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then shall your light rise in the darkness and your gloom be as the noonday. And the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in scorched places and make your bones strong. And you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. <laughs> what a wonderful contrast. Something to consider, something that we ought to heed as we go into even this coming August into a week of prayer and fasting for us as a church. Because in this case, God rebukes his people for fasting falsely. It was, it was not true. And then describing for them what is true fasting. The genuine act of fasting is denying the flesh to seek God, to loose the bonds of wickedness for oneself, to undo the straps of the yoke of bondage to sin and deliver one from oppression. And in so doing, one may serve others. One may be healed of pride and instead walk uprightly before the Lord in righteousness. Then you shall call upon the Lord and he will hear you, guide you, strengthen you, satisfy your desire even in scorched places, especially in desolate places. And you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. But listen, all of this does not come going down an easy road. It doesn't come by having it easy during a time of fasting and praying. It comes through testing. Testing when you are most vulnerable. Listen, brothers and sisters, please listen closely because this testing will come at you when you are most vulnerable. And yet, this is what we need to learn. And yet, able to escape those temptations because of the indwelling spirit. That is what you must realize. Often during a time of praying and fasting, we experience both a testing and a refining work. And at the same time, if we consider the Lord above all else, this intense intimacy with him, drawing near to him, we know this very dearly, as we draw near to him, he will draw near to us. 
You see, Jesus was exposed to intense temptation by the devil throughout these 40 days. Hebrews 4.15 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Remember, just because we are full of the Holy Spirit and led by the Holy Spirit, it does not mean that we will not experience tests and temptations. Sometimes we expect that. Listen, this side of heaven, <laughs> it's a battle. Would you agree with me? It, it is. It, it, it's a battle. So we need to stay on our toes constantly. We need to be aware. We need to be clear-minded. Spirit may even lead us or allow us to be tempted by Satan. Sifted, if you will. That we may be purified, strengthened, and well-rooted in our faith and its expression and obedience, regardless of how difficult life may get. At the end of 40 days, we see something that is common. At the, at the end of 40 days, Jesus is hungry. You know, during a time of extended fasting, I don't know how many of you have, have gone through like seven days or maybe longer, ten days of fasting, but at some point, it's odd. You just don't feel hungry anymore. You ever experienced that? You just don't feel hungry. But when you're getting close to actual starvation and death, your hunger comes back. Jesus was at that point to where he was, he was hungry. And we will now see at this point in Jesus' fasting how Satan tempts Jesus when he is the weakest physically. And how Jesus responds in the spirit according to the word because the spirit leads us. Get this, leads us in all Truth, according to John 16, 13. So, we see the first point as far as how it is that, and we need to understand this, keep this in mind, how it is that the Spirit was the one who led Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan during the course of these 40 days. We only have three situations here, three temptations before us. This is how he was tempted, but they were numerous. This is just what was mentioned here. Well, we have written. Verse 3 says, The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. So Satan basically was telling him, Hey, why deny yourself? Since you are the Son of God, you can turn these stones into bread. This was something that Jesus was experiencing that you and I experience. Hunger. And the devil tempted him with food. You ever been tempted with food? Probably this morning, maybe. Yesterday, last night. Just remember that Satan is opposed to God. 
The devil's constant intent is to steal your hope and purpose in Christ, to kill your joy and contentment, and to destroy you as an image bearer of God. Why is that? It's because Satan is the one who wants to be worshipped. And the way you'll honor, the way you'll reflect him and glorify him is by being filled with pride, thinking of self, and denying yourself nothing. Does that message sound familiar? Isn't that the message of the world? You see, Satan does not want you to rely on the Spirit because a person led by the Spirit will not succumb to the lust of the flesh. Not, not may not, but will not. Walking in the Spirit. In fact, Galatians 5.16 6, says, But I say, walk in the flesh, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. We need to notice how each time the Spirit led Jesus to Scripture to combat these temptations. Take note of that. Because this is the work of the Spirit. John 16, 13, I had mentioned it a few minutes ago. This is what it says. Jesus said, when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will lead you into all truth. Walk in the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Remember how it is that Satan enticed Eve in the garden with food. And now it's unbelievable how it is that he is now enticing Jesus with food. Now this is a legitimate desire of Jesus to survive. He's experiencing hunger. Hunger means, hey, I need food. I need to, I, I need to have that intake, right? But the temptation was this. Satan was tempting him to do it in an illegitimate manner. It's important to discern the temptation. And Jesus' response made the point that the word of God is more important than food. In that moment, you know, I, I know we, we joke around and we laugh, you know, and it's like... Uh, <clears throat> he's, he's gone beyond and he is he's hangry. Right? That means something changed. Something clicked up here, right? It's like, oh, I see it. I see a different look in him. Right? We need to we need to get him to like a restaurant quick. Like we need to get something in him quick. Something overtook him. You know what it is? It's the flesh. That's why, that's why that time of fasting and praying, I remember it was years ago. Because honestly, I mean, I used to get 
to that place, right? It's like, man, get, get me some food because like something was happening. It was just the flesh. It, it was during that time of prayer and fasting that I realized greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. I'm not going to die. I'm not going to die if I go even a few more hours or even another day without food. I'm, I'm not going to die. I, I realized that by the Spirit, I could discipline my body and bring it under subjection to the Lord. I had to choose to behave differently. I had to choose that. It wasn't natural for me. And I'm not saying that to, for any other reason but to glorify the Lord and, and, and to just witness to you that it was the Lord that showed me that. Nothing special in and of myself other than the indwelling Holy Spirit. Jesus made the point, the word of God is more important than food. The psalmist said in Psalm 119.103, How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. But Satan was telling Jesus, hey, why deny yourself? You're hungry, and, and since you're the Son of God. You know, this is um, sarcasm. It says, if you're the Son of God. Uh, another translation would say, since you're the Son of God. Then give the command for the stones to turn into bread and eat. Why deny yourself? You see, Satan will always appeal to the flesh, especially when, it, when the flesh itself is weak. It's in that moment that you will be tested. I, I think about certain periods of training in my life years ago. And I'm talking about the military, where it was that I realized that I could actually do much more than I thought I was capable of doing. But I had to learn that in my weakest moments, when others were telling me, get up, keep going, don't quit, you know you can do it, keep going, keep going, do not stop, and it was over and over and over, and I realized I could do more than what I thought I could. You know, it's the same thing with us spiritually. When you consider the one who indwells you. These things are, 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 are not things that, well, we're just victims to. When Satan appeals to the flesh, what do we do? But I'm weak, but he is strong. Listen. The flesh is no match to the person filled with the Holy Spirit and armed with the knowledge of God's word. If you don't know God's word, then let me tell you that you are not equipped to counter Satan's temptations. You will not know how to counter them. And so I share this with you, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Become a student of the word of God. You don't have time. I don't have time. I'm too busy. You can use that. 
You can go ahead. You, you, can, you can hold on to that. You know, I'm just going through a very difficult time in, in my life. You can use that too. I just don't have very good understanding of God's word. You can use that too. Whatever excuse you want to use, you can, you can go ahead and you can hold on to it. Or you can confess that, repent of it, and instead just become a student of the word. Is the Lord worth an extra 15, 20 minutes in the morning of your sleep? Is it not worth that sacrifice? I'm going to get up a little earlier just to read God's word and spend time with him. Is he not worth you putting away the news in the evening or social media so that you could just spend time with him, studying God's word? I think he is. So don't use excuses, please. Whatever it is that you're using at the moment, please, please stop and equip yourself so that you may be prepared to counter any temptation that comes against you knowing the word of God and being empowered by the Holy Spirit to not fall into temptation. Let's continue. Verse 5 says, And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, To you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, It is written... You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. So why deny yourself? And now why deprive yourself? All of this can be yours. You see, Satan knew that Jesus came to proclaim good news to the poor, sent by the Father to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, according to Luke chapter 4, verse 18. Listen, one day Jesus will come back and he will come to conquer and to rule. In Revelation 19, verse 11, it says, Then I saw heaven opened and behold a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood And the name by which he is called is the word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of of lords. He is coming and he will rule and reign. Amen. Are you excited about that? I can't read that any other way. Satan knew this. Satan knew it very well. But Satan was tempting Jesus to do one thing And he always tempts us to do the very same thing. Take a shortcut. Bring it all under your subjection. Right now. But this would mean that Jesus would would avoid the cross. 
Are all these people worth it? Just, just rule and reign. Just do one thing. Worship the devil. Satan is the ruler of this world, according to John 12, 39. And he is the prince of the power of the air, according to Ephesians 2, 2. Man, he'll offer you everything. Again, this is, this is the message of the world. It, it, it's all yours. Just bow down to me. Maybe avoid suffering. But you must worship the devil. It's no wonder that there are many ungodly people in positions of authority, power, great influence, who are ruling the world at this very moment. The world's common message, why deprive yourself? Look at what you're missing out on, FOMO. Come, you can have it all. Mark chapter 8, verse 34 and calling the crowd to him, that is, calling the crowd to him who is Jesus, with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Save your life and yet lose it or surrender it to Christ and know it eternally and abundantly because you have a certain hope, purpose. You have the glory of God awaiting you. You've been forgiven of your sins in Christ Jesus. Jesus' answer is found in verse 8. You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Nothing pleases Satan more than to worship self by serving self, because it is an imitation of him. You say, well, I'm not worshiping Satan. Sure do you look like him. You're either glorifying and honoring the Lord and reflecting a character that is Christ-like or the alternative, there's, there's nothing in between. There's, there's nothing. I wish there was. I wish I could tell you that there's kind of like an in-between. You're either honoring one or honoring the other. You're either imitating the Son of God or you're imitating Satan. Because the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many, according to Matthew 20, 28. So Satan will tempt you to skip suffering, but it will always be at the expense of worshiping him and forfeiting your soul. Verse 9 says, and he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, it is said, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Uh, what Satan was telling him, 
isn't God able to deliver you? At least that's what his word says, right? What this tells us is that as we look at these three temptations, that Satan is an expert in the scriptures. He knows the Bible inside and out more than you. More than I know scripture. More than anyone put together knows scripture. Satan knew that Psalm 91, 11, and 12 was referring to Jesus, the Son of God. And he used it to entice Jesus to do something that would elevate him immediately in that moment. He wouldn't bow down to the devil. So he said, well, here, I'll give you another temptation. Throw yourself down. These two verses refer to you. And immediately you know that you you will soar to stardom. It will be spectacular. Use God's promise in a way that benefits you. That is why the twisting of Scripture to to glorify man is really not the right application of Scripture. You better know Scripture because Satan is an expert in the Bible and he knows how to twist, twist it and twist you up. Are you able to discern when Scripture is being taken out of context? Again, I I appeal to you, brethren, by this verse, 2 Timothy 2.15, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. And then in Romans 12.2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Jesus discerned that this quote-unquote step of faith, literally, right, would in reality be testing God. And God, God's word says, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test, according to Deuteronomy 6.16. Have you ever caught yourself saying, if you are really God, if you start a a sentence, a statement out with those words, you might want to stop yourself in mid-sentence. Because you're questioning God. If you're really God, you say in your word you'll do this. Or you wouldn't do that. Who are you? It's a temptation. And it comes from the pit of hell. It comes from Satan. We need to be able to discern in that moment, catch ourselves as we're thinking, subject those thoughts to the Lord, taking them captive. But we will not be able to discern whether those thoughts are right or wrong, again, if we're not in the Word and studying God's Word. We will not be able to discern it. You'll make up your own God, really, in your own image. You'll make stuff up as far as the word is concerned and twist it. Again, reflecting not the character of God, but the character of Satan. Verse 13, And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. 
You see, Satan is your adversary. He prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour, 1 Peter 5.8. Satan may relent for a moment, but rest assured he will come back. So be ready. Be ready. Ephesians 6.16 says, In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. How many of the flaming darts of the evil one can you extinguish? Does it say all? I think it says all. All. Exercise and increase your faith. Read and study God's word. Because we know, according to Romans 10, 17, that faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So, James 4, 7. In your times of weakness, especially. But daily submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Chuck Smith said this, quote, This is always the heart of temptation, to let the flesh rule over the spirit. And thus, in every situation, I must determine whether I will yield to the desires of my flesh or the desires of the spirit. Close quote. Satan will tempt you asking, why deny, why deprive yourself? Isn't God able to fill in the blank? Why would God do this? Why would God do that? But know that God will not allow you to be tempted beyond your ability, according to 1 Corinthians 10.13. The testing will come when you are most vulnerable, and yet I pray that you realize that you are able to resist the temptation because of the indwelling spirit that leads you into all truth as you know God's word and apply it. I pray for anyone who's sitting in here who has not yet surrendered their lives to Jesus Christ to know salvation. Because without the confessing and repenting of your sins, you remain in condemnation separated from the Lord eternally. Not just for now, but eternally. So I would pray that you would come to realize that your sin separates you from the Father. But God made a way. He sent His Son to the world to die for your sins, to pay for them completely. And as you place your trust in Jesus Christ, call upon Him as Lord and Savior. The Bible says that you will be saved. For everyone who believes that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that the Father resurrected him from the grave after three days of being there, then you will be saved. All who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And I pray that you do not leave here without knowing Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. If you confess with your mouths that Jesus is Lord and believe in your hearts that God raised him from the dead, the Bible says you shall be saved. Cry upon him. Call upon him. Again, I am here every Sunday morning after service. I would ask you if you have prayer needs. We, we have, my wife and I will be up here. We're available to, to just pray 
If this morning you surrender your life to Christ, I invite you to come up and we want to give you just some direction as to how it is that you can grow in the Lord. And so one of the things is the foundations class and that's coming up. So sign up for that. For the church, let's be discerning. Let's be equipped. Let's be ready for these temptations because we went through quite a bit this morning that helps us understand that we are more than victors as we abide in Christ. He is our Savior, but he is also our Lord, and he is the one who has conquered all. Amen? Father, we thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness, your sovereignty, your power, (laughs) Lord. Oh, your mercy, your grace. Thank you, Lord, that we can look to you and be equipped Lord, to counter any temptation that comes our way. Lord, teach us. Teach us to walk in truth, to live our lives according to your word. And I pray to you, Lord, that uh, I do ask you, Father, that you would soften any hearts that have not surrendered to you, Lord, that not called upon Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so I pray, Lord, that they would call upon the Lord. Surrender all. That they may know the hope of heaven and your grace. We thank you, Lord, for your salvation. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.